Hello and welcome to episode number 204 of the Apex Physiology podcast. I've got a really interesting one for you today. So we are going to go down a little bit more the academic sciencey route, uh, away from training and looking into more literature because today on the show I am joined by fellow Apex uh, treatments therapist Will Bosson. And Will, Will works with me uh, getting patients day-to-day better, looking at movement assessments, going through gait and applying soft tissue treatments. Um, and we recent, both recently had to do a literature review for our osteopathy uh, undergrad degree. Um, I've already spoken about mine, and mine was on treatments for the lower limb for back pain. And Will's was looking at whether HVTs, so that's a high-velocity thrust, or in layman's terms, getting cracked, um, does anything to affect proprioception? So can a HVT uh, impact or improve proprioception? And this is a really interesting topic because um, spinal manipulation is obviously very popular. People like it. It feels good and you walk out feeling a lot better. But we want to look at the long-term effects and whether it does things to change the brain and change the way we move. And we'll really delve into this uh, quite deeply going through um, a variety of different areas uh, and obviously to cover it in his literature review, he had to go into uh, great detail. So uh, that's what we spoke about today. Um, so it's just basically me asking Will about what he found, um, what the research was saying, and then coming to a conclusion. So if you're a personal trainer, this one is an interesting one to listen to if you know you have clients who go for regular chiropractic or osteopathic treatment and the benefits of that. And if you're a therapist, I think it's uh, pretty much essential listening because it'll keep you up to date with what the current research is saying about the effectiveness of HVTs. So without further ado, this is episode 204 with Will Bosson. Okay, so how does it feel to achieve a lifelong ambition of being a guest on the show? <laughs> well, well I, I, I thought I wanted to be an osteopathic, well, I actually wanted to just come on to the show. So you did the entire course just to get on, just for this moment, yeah. for this moment. Just to get close to you. Mm. <laughs> okay, so without getting any weirder. So, right, HVTs, um, obviously a very effective tool in the toolbox. Um, do you want to first of all tell people what the lit review you did was on? Yeah, so it was on... Um, High velocity thrusts or high velocity low amplitude manipulations, otherwise known as you know spinal adjustments, spinal manipulations. I wanted to look at um, whether these could improve quantitative objective measures in the medium to long term effects. And that sounds a bit tricky, but basically what it means is there's been loads of research on the neurophysiological effects of HVTs and how they can impact. Uh, neurological systems, but there's not the research on biomechanics and how it can impact biomechanics is pretty under researched. And there's been a lot of talk. I know lots of the research has been discussed over essentially the immediate impact of the HVT. I think when I first mentioned you, you mentioned something about it being seven minutes or something like that. The mm-hmm. effects have been seven minutes. So what I wanted was I, I wanted a long-term follow-up. So I wanted ideally a six-month follow-up to see if the effects of HVTs can be shown to have any effect beyond just the immediate impact of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and as well, as, as crack sceptics, a, a large criticism they have is on placebo effect in that mm-hmm. getting your neck cracked or whatever, or back cracked, is just the benefits of it as placebo effect is, oh, it just feels better. So I didn't want it, the measures that were being assessed to be qualitative, for example. Yeah. A patient's pain level because that can be 
you know, anything. The, the, the level of painful stimulus doesn't necessarily map to the amount of pain that person's experiencing. Mm. So what I wanted it to assess, to, to, to categorically prove that HPTs can be effective with quantitative things on biomechanics. So the thing I decided was uh, proprioception, in that mm. proprioception being heavily linked to biomechanics uh, and how it can impact that. And did you look in? You looked at muscle strength at one point, didn't you? Because that was more quantitative, wasn't it? Uh, I did, yes. As a, as a, as a, so you'd get as in you'd get an outcome. You get a number from it. So mm. if you can physically push harder mm. or something like that, so you, you you do an assessment of push power, and then you get a, a HVC, you get cracked, and then you rego test push power essentially. But you could sort of link that to to placebo. It's just a, it's a tricky, really tricky thing trying to eliminate placebo entirely. Mm. Um, which is why I decided on proprioception in the end, because I thought it's something... I'll, I'll discuss through the, the methods of assessing proprioception, so I'll make it a bit clear as to why that's a bit more objective than yeah. something else. So basically, there are three main methods in, a, in a, uh, assessing proprioception. First one is threshold detection of passive motion. So basically, you're strapped into a machine, you're blindfolded, you've got earphones in, so you can't hear or see anything, and then the the joint that's being assessed is, is attached to a machine. They'll then passively move it, and you just have to press a button as soon as you think it starts being moved. And then the, the speed of doing that is the, is the score you get, essentially. The next one, which is the most common, is joint position sense, or joint position uh, joint position reproduction, um, which is where your the assessed limb, so your foot, say, or your head, is, again, blindfolded with earphones in, is placed in a neutral position. So say you've got a helmet on with a laser on your forehead and that laser is pointed at a target on the opposite wall. You'll then undergo the intervention so you'll get a neck crack essentially. Mm. And you'll turn your head to left or right or up or down and then they'll say, okay, now put it back in the neutral position we placed you in at the start and then you'd measure the distance, the laser pointer is from the actual neutral position and that gives you a score again. Mm. Final one is um, a MADA which is active movement extent discrimination assessment. And that's, again, you'll have the assessor limb, um, you'll go through like a familiarization protocol, so there'll be five positions in a machine, so one uh, being the closest, five being away, uh, furthest away, and you'll place the limb in each position, and so say, okay, this is five, this is one, and then you'll be blindfolded, and they'll place your limb in each position, and you have to say, do you think that is one, two, three, four, or five? Okay. And then you get a score from your accuracy on that as well. Okay, and do you want to define in jail or do you, do you think what was anything that how did you come to that conclusion of that's what to include and exclusion criteria and so forth and how did you define those studies so I wanted it to be relatively up to date so all my papers were in the last six published in the last 16 years so as I said it includes criteria within the last 20 years basically um, and I wanted a control group to them uh, for the findings to be compared against so a group that's undergoing the HVT and a group that's undergoing a sham placebo treatment, basically. Mm -hmm. um, and then the, the final thing was I wanted it um, not to measure the immediate effects of HPTs only, because there's loads of research on that. So you get your neck cracks, and then there'll be the, the assessment there on the spot. Mm -hmm. and, but then again, that's really prone to placebo, because mm -hmm. it's in the immediate short term. So I wanted it to, I did like a, I did a buffer period of two weeks. So I wanted at least a two week follow up assessment. Um, which there's a staggeringly short amount of research on that. So I, as I said at the start, I wanted at least, I wanted a six-month period. Yeah. I didn't come anywhere near six months. So uh, 
the, I think the average the average length of time the uh, proprioception was assessed after the intervention was like thirty three days, which mm. is just nowhere near what I wanted basically. Um, but so I only got I only got seven papers and met these is it, criteria. Do you think that um, lack of follow up time is down to it's tricky to actually do as a study? and drop-off uh, will increase with that? Or do you think it's because there might be an agenda to not find out something <laughs> if they are... There definitely will be like a publication bias in that I know HVTs are a very tricky, uh, touchy subject. So, for example, with a chiro- if, a chiro- if, if paper, papers come out saying HVTs are useless... Yeah, that's chiropractic. Chiropractic, <laughs> yeah. like, what, what are they going to do? Yeah. So there is, a, there is a lot with that. Also... The participant numbers in these studies are really low. Mm. So if, if you have a longer period, a longer period of, of study, you're going to get more dropouts just because of life and mm. whatnot, which again really will lower the reliability and the, um, how, how, how further you can extrapolate the results to the wider population, basically. So there will be a cost, cost time, benefit analysis of that as well, um, just having equipment for longer, doing all this stuff. So there will, there will be a portion of it like that, essentially. Um but, as you said, there could be some sort of publication bias and that mm. they didn't want to find. And how many of the seven were chiropractic um, funded or by a chiropractic institution? Pretty much. I think five out of seven were chiropractic. So mm. four of the papers were from uh, chiropractic master's courses. So it was as part of a master's degree, mm-hmm. they did this research. And then another one was a chiropractor where they utilised 12 nearby chiropractors in it. Um, so it's heavily chiropractic influence essentially. I couldn't. There wasn't one that specifically t- termed osteopath yeah. or, or you know physiotherapist physiotherapist with grade five manipulation or anything like that. So it's largely chiropractic based. Yeah. I think what's what's important to like explain to the audience here is that we're not you know like, like I said before we'll we'll go on to look at like dry needling, acupuncture, soft tissue manipulation. It's just so it just happens that we started with this topic because it's been your literature review and you've spent you know about six months longer than that mm. yeah the past six eight months mm. going through the papers and actually trying to find it but it's it's one of them where you know we get a lot of people coming in and they might say oh, I just need to be cracked or I need to or mm. have my neck cracked and everything and is the I mean do you want to talk about it? is there like a a, a period where there's a physiological response, like a minute one, which gives them that placebo effect or sensation, but it doesn't actually biomechanically do anything. So again, this is something that's under, very under research. So the placebo effect and how it impacts physiological processes is pretty under research. So I actually had to look outside mm. the physiological processes for placebo effect, like taking tablets, stuff like that. Mm. And I found a paper saying that the, the rough uh, placebo time for that sort of thing is 30 minutes which is why I sort of incorporated this two-week buffer period. Mm. Um, yeah, basically, yeah. Yeah, so, so in other words, like, because I think one of the biggest things that to explain to people is that, um, you know, you've had, you've come in, you've had this adjustment, yeah, it feels a lot better, but has it done anything? Mm. Yeah, so that's mm. the, is that pretty much the objective. But essentially, yeah, we, the, the, the feeling a lot better thing, that's what I wanted to categorically rule out, mm. basically. And and like you say, with people coming in saying, can I have HVT, it's sort of the tail wagging the dog kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, so can I have my neck back cracked? That's sort of almost like a, not red flag, but yeah. well, why would I do it then for that purpose? Because mm. they should be telling you what treatment you want, uh, what they want, essentially. Mm. 
Um, so it's, it's finding the most appropriate situation mm-hmm. to perform a HVT. So the, the, the outcome of this paper is someone with proprioceptive deficits, would you be recommending HPT to that person to improve proprioception because it's not that's not really what HPTs are used for generally in practice from our experience I don't think it's for range of motion restriction kind of thing that's what you'd incorporate HPT for mm. and how many patients you get coming in then you'd suspect okay there's a proprioceptive deficit then you'd go more down systemic kind of routes mm. so you'd say HPTs are predominantly incorporated for range of motion deficits and pain level essentially which I know range of motion would be be objective. I want something a bit more interesting than that, and um, to, to incorporate biomechanics fully as a you know assessment thing. Um, but pain level certainly is the main thing. I don't know what you think in terms of why you would incorporate HVT pain level restriction. Well, I, I think this is what I would like to know more about, which is which is how much you actually change neurologically, because mm. um, I think that's when you have to go down the route of um, fMRI. And is there, did you find anything on that, like when people are um, adjusted and then under it? I think they've done it. I'm pretty sure they've done it where people are um, to look at the actual neurological changes mm. where people have an adjustment, but I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's been done. Yeah, there's loads on neurological effects. Yeah. And you've, what, you've read the, the neurological effects? Or? Well, there's, there's tons of stuff on that. That's, that's you know, chiropractors, bread and butter and stuff like that. This right. is why we do it, the neuro, neurophysiological effects. But again, the... the the effect on biomechanics are just is not there. Really limited. Well, with from the neurophysiological effects, is that more of like there's an endorphin release that makes the body feel better and it promotes healing, or is it like the actual nerve signaling to that? Yeah. So the endorphin release will be a part of it. Everyone likes to get crabs. Yeah. And um, in terms of neurological effects, so if so, if you imagine there's impingement on a nerve, that's going to decrease the amount of nerve signaling going through it essentially mm-hmm. so decreased ectoplasmic thre- uh, flow mm-hmm. so the axons traveling through the nerve if you can use a hvt to essentially decrease that impingement mm-hmm. that will improve nerve flow conduction stuff like that you'll also any spinal adjustment you'll get a spoonful of cerebrospinal fluid into your head that's where you get a rush but then this is the interesting thing in that um what this paper didn't utilize really is non-spinal hvts so the spinal HVT will have all these neurological effects. Mm. Will a non-spinal, so, so a, a radial head, yeah, yeah. fault, anything yeah. in there, what will that do? Which in this paper, five out of seven papers researched spinal adjustments. Only, well, five out of seven was survival spine adjustments alone. Mm. Two of them, one of them utilised lumbar uh, adjustments and the other one was lumbar uh, and pelvis adjustments. So that was, pelvis was the only one that sort of non Mm. non-spinal one so that's that was a recommendation made for future research was research the effects of non-spinal adjustments so that's again sort of eliminating the neurophysiological effects of it because it's not if, if i crack your radial head there's not going to be a huge neurological impact at all especially compared to adjusting your spine mm. um, but there's none there's none done on like either through cameras like gait analysis or anything like that there were a few um, but again that's a big cost yeah, cost benefit yeah. so yeah. Um, and also that's you could link that to sort of placebo so as in you mean like motion tracking yeah, and stuff yeah, like yeah. that so what one of the papers utilized postural sway mm. which was differed from the three um, assessment techniques I discussed at the start in that so they just get to stand on a on like a, a pressure platform and see how much they swayed mm. so uh, but interestingly that paper found it HTs to not be successful <laughs> okay so the basic they they get to stand on it 
how much sway was there, then they cracked them, get to stand on it again. Mm. Um, and it was proved not to be successful. And that had the highest number of participants as well. Was that the 221? Or 221 participants, yeah. yeah. The rest of them, the participant numbers were pretty low. Mm. Again, average was in the 30s. And so, and again, that would be halved as well, because you have to have half in the control group, half in the uh, HVT group. So mm. that'd be about 15 to 17 people, I think it was, actually undergoing the HVT. So that's pretty poor patient numbers you'd want. So again, for future research, that was one of the further recommendations I made was upping the patient numbers to increase generalizability across the mm. uh, general public. So ju- just out of interest, like if money was no object, patient size and sample was no object, what would you want to look at? So, well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> <laughs> so I, bet I, made f- I made five recommendations for future research. One of them was larger participant numbers and the participants to be a better representation of the general public. So the, the participants in these studies were mostly younger and female. And but the counter-argument to that is old age is sort of like a contraindication to HVTs. Mm. So it makes sense to be performing HVTs on the, on the demographic of patient that's most likely going to be receiving it. But you do want the, the, the lack of the female-to-male discrepancy. Is, there's not much reason for that. So large participant numbers with a better representation of the, of the population. Second one was greater regulation regarding the skill uh, level of the operator. So it wasn't clear on these papers the the qualifications of the person person performing the HVT. Mm. So as I said, a lot of them were from master's courses. So you don't know if they're a student, how long they've been practicing for. Um, So of the four, four out of seven papers found to be effective. Of the four that were proved effective, three of them utilized the same qualified chiropractor throughout the, the study and the one the other one was um, 12 nearby chiropractors and they got to just use their own experience basically just decide what was best for that so patient. So there's no, no specificity like it's going to be like C1? That, for that paper there wasn't so so it's unclear if that the, the benefits achieved from that paper because they the chiropractor will have used some soft tissue techniques PNF techniques so it's unclear if the oh, yeah, if so. the benefits were from the HVT or not oh. the other three were pretty strict mm. um, some of them were we're going to do C1 others which I think is a bit better is we find a restriction and then they do it on that which mm. just makes more sense to yeah, me yeah. Um, Third one, as I said, was an exploration of both spinal and extremity HVTs and see mm. if that's effective. So see if, if me whacking your radial head will do anything mm. to proprioception. Uh, fourth, um, six out of the seven papers utilise the joint position sense as the uh, measurement technique. So with the laser on the forehead and you, you, you're blind, blinded. So if to, to fully score, explore the full scope of proprioception, you'd want the other assessment techniques to be assessed as well. Mm. Um, so the two that didn't assess, uh, one of them, the six out of seven papers assessed joint position sense. The one that didn't was the the sway one, which already measured, which showed it wasn't effective. And the other one utilised joint position sense and the active movement extent discrimination. And that was found not to be statistically significant, statistically, statistically significant yeah. improvement. So I want more, um, more assessment other than joint position sense, essentially. Uh, and finally, the big one is including a six-month follow-up, yeah. at least a six-month follow-up. With no treatment in between? No treatment in between, just to see if it is long-term. And there's just nothing There's nothing on the long-term effects of HPCs that I've been able to find, right. as in over six months. 
And again, that would that would you you could confidently say that would probably eliminate the placebo effect entirely. Yeah. So if you do HT and then six months later, you've still got it. You know, you're golden. But mm. there's just nothing on that. Right. And last one. Uh, ultimately, from all the research that you've been doing, all the papers you read, did it impact your choice or of using it as a practitioner? I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> so the results, the results were inconclusive. So four out of seven said it was effective. Three out of seven said it wasn't. Mm. Um, but it's like I said, how many patients get coming in as a, a with proprioception deficits? You'd think, and also more likely, you, you, you'd think people with proprioception deficits are more likely to be on the older age range. Mm. And again, that serves as a contraindication um, to performing HVT. I would I, I would be inclined to explore it with you know my own personal experience and see what results you get on the table. So mm. def- it's it, it's exciting ground for future research, but. It's something I think you need to make your own judgment call on from personal experience, basically. Because yeah. I think that like muscle testing is a big one, um, where like you, you test a person's like isolated muscle strength, adjust, and then go back to it. I know that's quite popular, but the only problem there is that it's subjective in like how much pressure the um, you know the practitioner applies and whether mm. there's an agenda for them mm. to prove it. And that's mm. one of the things that I want to really have the forefront of. Of our practice, which is like looking at things from a critically, um, from a critical analysis of things, like is this actually useful? But I think I don't know enough about it. I would need to know more about the actual neurology behind it. But I think from an MSK point of view, if that joint is doesn't doesn't have that mobility and, and movement or like the fluid dynamics that it needs, adjusting it is a perfectly valid way. It's just whether right. it has all those neurological effects. After. Can I talk a bit about muscle yeah, yeah, yeah. spin? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so essentially, so the, the the reasons why HVTs have been uh, theorised to be effective has changed over the years. So when mm-hmm. it first started, whoever invented it, mm-hmm. it was thought to be the, the physically moving osseous structures. So like them moving a bone back into the joint, which isn't really correct. Mm-hmm. Then it sort of progressed to a, a still a positional uh, kind of theory, but that. A, a, a bone has been placed in a say vert has been placed in a position that requires a high amount of, of physiological stress to maintain it in that position, mm-hmm. and you adjusting it will sort of relieve that pressure a bit as well. What these papers showed, and what's moved away for, is that the the benefits of proprioception following HVT is largely associated with muscle spindles. So muscle spindles being stretch receptors, it's also associated with um, mechanoreceptors in, in joint capsules. So things that assess the amount of pressure being on. Um, so as, as a muscle spindle lengthens, its, its neurological discharge increases in direct proportion to that length as well. So as you lengthen it, the neurological activity goes up, which is what's thought to give the position about, uh, sorry, give the, the, the brain the information on the position of the joint. So Proskett and Gandevia in 2012, there you go, did an interesting uh, study where they assessed uh, using vibration mm. and then assessed proprioception. So they vibrated the biceps and triceps, and that gave the, the person uh, erroneous information about what position their, their joint was in, essentially, because basically it's activating those muscle spindles in the, in the muscle. Mm. They then placed it on the elbow, on the bone itself, and that didn't produce any, uh, any, any uh, erroneous information about where the position was. Again, indicating that muscle spindles are what is giving the brain the information about where it is in space. So that's what the, the, the neurological effects of, of HTs are thought 
to influence proprioception are by, it's all by muscle spindles essentially, right. which is sort of moving away kind of from spinal neurology. Yeah, it's yeah. not neurology really. It's, yeah. It's still neurology in a sense, but more muscle mechanics. Really. Yeah, and as well, there's a large thing about the actual architecture and spatial distribution of the muscle spindles located mm-hmm. in the muscle belly. So, um, the, in, in the muscle, so there's, there's things called persinian corpuscles, corpuscles, mm. uh, raffine corpuscles, mm. and Golgi tendinoles, which you've heard of. Mm. So these are the mechanoreceptors that detect pressure. So the persinian corpuscles, they are, they're mostly stimulated by deformation. Mm. So persinian corpuscles, they're mostly stimulated uh, with traction uh, and torsion, and the raffine corpuscles, and, uh, oh, sorry, compression mostly stimulates the persinian corpuscles, and traction torsion stimulates the raffini corpuscles and the Golgi tendon orders. So, what sort of movement would involve traction, compression, torsion? Yeah. HVT. Yeah, yeah. So, if you stimulate all those, that's going to give you more information about the joint position, say, because you're getting all these pressure receptors mm-hmm. going off. So, again, that's something that's thought to influence it. Also, in terms of the actual spatial distribution, between the connective tissue and the periosteum, there's loads of free nerve endings. So they contain uh, group three and group four nerve fibers. Basically, that just means they're in the they're involved in the afferent pathway. So the, the, the neurological signals going to the brain of proprioceptive information. So as you stimulate these these mechanoreceptors and nerve endings, that's giving you more afferent information, more neurological information about that muscle, and then so therefore you can then better assess where it is in, in space and. and and time and whatnot. Space time. Yeah. Um, so that those are the neurological processes, thoughts behind why HTs can help improve perception, basically. No. Okay, so I uh, I love that chat with Will. I think it was. I think this this is the way I want to take things going forward. So I really want to ensure that whatever we do, we're, we're looking into what the latest research says, and just don't take things as the gospel. And always challenging your beliefs about what, uh, well, how modern science and uh, modern research is moving forward to make uh, treatment plans as most effective as possible. But I think it's it's really good listening as well for the general population for people to know. Um, you know, I, I do like HVTs, and I do like uh, spinal adjustments. I think they are effective, but it's like anything. I don't think this should be like oversold, as it's like the fix for everything. Like this will solve all issues because there's there's a lot more FM, there's a lot more pieces to the puzzle that you need to um, at least consider. Anyway, if you want to check out more from APX, uh, you can head to Anthropometrics on YouTube. You'll find a load of uh, mobility and stability drills that you can that'll help with your mobility and your training. Uh, we've got some exciting things in the pipeline where we're going down the health route, where, again, we're going to be looking to latest research on supplements and uh, things that you can do to improve your health. Um, if you want to follow us on Instagram, there's three different handles, which is uh, APX Treatments, APX Physique uh, for the bodybuilding side of things, and we also have Chris not APX, if you just want to follow my general one. Uh, finally, there's also the uh, APX education site. So we have Anthropometrics where you can look at um, the membership levels and uh, um, APX level one. This is a comprehensive um, course taking you through the biomechanics, breathing mechanics, program design, anatomy, and the gait cycle. Finally, if you do listen to this, we've got, oh, we've only got three weeks, about uh, three weeks left until the first seminar of the year. 
Um, it's going to be the squat uh, seminar, which I'm very, very excited to deliver. Uh, it's going to be the first one at APX Education in Sandbach, where we'll be doing some stuff in the classroom on functional anatomy and then heading into the gym to watch each other squat and figure out or go through exercises which will really improve this pattern. So, uh, sorry, and there are two places on that. If anybody's interested, just drop me a DM if you uh, want to jump on there. Anyway, apart from that, thank you so much for listening. More content coming your way very, very soon.